You're listening to Cuomo's Combined Crises, a special podcast report for BU News Service in which we dive into the past, present, and possible future of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. My name is Will Andronico. In recent weeks, the governor has faced an onslaught of calls for investigations and allegations regarding sexual misconduct and New York's nursing home deaths related to COVID-19. But before we get into that, BU News Service contributor Naya Jordan explains the governor's rise to power before the coronavirus pandemic. So prior to his rise to power, Governor Andrew Cuomo grew up in Queens, New York. He stayed in New York City after high school, graduating from Fordham University before leaving for the Big Apple to Albany Law School of Union University. He began working as the campaign manager for his father, former New York Governor Mario Cuomo, before becoming an assistant district attorney. And finally, he moved into private law practice before returning to politics. So Cuomo's political career spans over decades. He was sworn in as Assistant Secretary of Housing and Urban Development for Community Planning and Development in 1993, and he also served in President Bill Clinton's cabinet as the 11th United States Secretary for Housing and Urban Development. In 2006, he was elected as the Attorney General of New York, and in 2010, he became the Governor of New York. So in his tenure as governor, Cuomo has made several significant legislative strides. He passed the Marriage Equality Act, introducing same-sex marriage in New York, and the 2014 Compassionate Care Act, which legalized medical marijuana. In response to the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting and the 2012 Webster shooting, Cuomo signed the New York SAFE Act of 2013, the strictest gun control law in the United States. He also delivered Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act, raising taxes for the wealthy and lowering the taxes for middle class in 2011. And according to Siena College poll from 2019, Cuomo's approval rate dropped to the lowest in eight years. However, a more recent poll from Siena College showed that Cuomo's coronavirus response approval rate is fairly high, with nearly two-thirds of New Yorkers liking his communication efforts. Thanks, Naya. We'll return to you in a moment, but we'll first toss it to BU News Service contributor Elias Miller to describe Governor Cuomo's rise to fame in 2020. As soon as the United States began measuring the severity of the coronavirus pandemic, some governors rose to the ranks of celebrities for their leadership in these times. As nationally, the federal government seemed ill-informed, wrongly predicting swift organic recoveries that never came, even sending conflicting messages to a panicked populace. Andrew Cuomo was one such governor, and the praise for him just kept rolling in. Take this conversation, for instance, between television hosts Ellen DeGeneres and Trevor Noah. That's back in April. Trevor, you call yourself a Cuomo-sexual, and I, I, I agree with you. I feel like I'm a Cuomo-sexual, too. I think he's been informative. I think he's been informed. And like once I saw people online falling in love with him, there's a group of women who came out and they said, we, we're falling in love with Cuomo. And I said, well, yeah, everyone, everyone should be a Cuomo-sexual in that way. Like you should love a leader who engages the people and remembers that they're serving the people as opposed to, you know, the people working for them. For large swaths of New Yorkers, Democratic and Republican alike, this sentiment was shared. His press conferences, carried on national television, came across as relatable and comforting. Cuomo switching from a stalwart leader to a more fatherly presence. His interviews with his brother Chris Cuomo on CNN made up for their lack in journalistic ethics with well-needed comic relief. 
all around, Governor Cuomo just seemed on top of it, like the guy next door can fix everything in your house. First of all, the key to reopening is going to be testing. Uh, I've said that from day one. It's not going to be a light switch where you flip this economy like you flip a light switch. It's not going to be everybody goes back next Thursday. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to be a gradual phased process, and it's going to be uh, reliant on testing. In the early deadly throes of the pandemic, New York's testing rates were unparalleled. Cuomo moved cautiously in determining how and when to reopen, controlling travel from riskier states with mandatory two-week quarantines for those coming in. All told, those efforts likely blunted waves in the state that could have caused far more damage than they had originally. And New York emerged as more stable than some neighboring states, with reported health recoveries that many envied. It's hard to tell exactly when God-era Cuomo ended. With the transition in the president's office came democratic governance at the national level and policies that were better in line with the views of infectious disease experts. You know, for many, the Charlie Bakers, Larry Hogan's, and Cuomo's of the USA were no longer that even-keeled resistance to the chaos at the top. The end of this wartime honeymoon of sorts brought further scrutiny to how exactly governors were managing the situations in their individual states. And for Cuomo especially, several disturbing stories came to light. Thank you, Elias. And on the topic of those disturbing stories, we'll throw it back to Nia Jordan for a breakdown of the nursing home scandal. So back in August, the Justice Department under the Trump administration sent data requests to Governor Cuomo to investigate whether the Cuomo administration violated federal law by ordering public nursing homes to accept recovering COVID-19 patients from hospitals. The Justice Department also sent letters to New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. These requests were sent to determine whether the governor's actions, quote, may have resulted in the deaths of thousands of elderly nursing home residents. So at the time, Governor Andrew Cuomo and Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf said their offices were reviewing the request. But both Michigan's governor and New Jersey's governor said they found these requests strange as the Republican National Convention was in full swing and all the governors involved were Democrats. In June of 2020, state health officials developed a report of nursing home residents in New York who had died due to the coronavirus. Governor Cuomo's top aides, startled by the number of deaths, decided to take the number out of the report fearing backlash, according to reports from the New York Times. And in January of this year, New York Attorney General Letitia James announced an investigation revealing that nursing home deaths were undercounted by up to 50 percent. Governor Cuomo acknowledged the discrepancy, saying that he feared the Trump administration might pursue a politically motivated inquiry into the state's handling of the outbreak in nursing homes. As a result of the new information, both the FBI and the Brooklyn U.S. Attorney's Office launched a full investigation into the actions of Governor Cuomo's coronavirus task force and its handling of nursing homes and other long-term care facilities during the pandemic. And New York is not alone in facing criticism over its handling of nursing home deaths due to the coronavirus. The inability to meet safety requirements prompted the state of Massachusetts to shut down several nursing homes. An investigation by Boston 25 News showed that some struggling long-term care facilities were part of the state's pandemic response plan as coronavirus cases surged last spring. The state documented these particular homes' alleged failures but placed sick people in them anyway. 
In July, 25 investigates found that it did not matter if a long-term care facility was battling an outbreak of COVID-19, had staffing shortages, or received low ratings. If a facility attested on a form that admits certain infection control and safety criteria, they were placed on the Massachusetts isolation space list. This meant that new patients could be welcomed at that nursing home, regardless of whether they tested positive for COVID-19 or not. And in exchange, the state freed up millions of those facilities. Going back to New York, let's take a look at our timeline. On March 22nd, the state shuts down non-essential businesses after nearly 15,000 people tested positive. The state scrambles to increase hospital capacity over fears that hospitals will be overwhelmed with COVID-19 patients. On March 25th, the State Department of Health orders nursing homes to admit recovering COVID-19 patients from hospitals, if medically stable. With hospitalizations numbers skyrocketing, the state needs more space for patients. New York and other states begin ordering nursing homes to admit medically stable residents infected with the coronavirus, despite the deadly risk to the other patients already living there. So come April 3rd, the state approves legal immunity provisions for healthcare providers, including nursing homes and hospitals relating to COVID-19, meaning they could not be sued as a result of coronavirus complications. The measures require either gross negligence or intentional misconduct by the healthcare facilities to prove liability, which experts believe is extremely difficult to prove if victims were to ever take these cases to court. State officials eventually released data mid-April showing the coronavirus had killed more than 2,400 elderly and disabled New Yorkers inside of nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Later in April, under pressure from the media, state officials released the number of COVID-19 deaths in each nursing home facility. The data reveals at least 42 nursing homes across New York State had at least 10 coronavirus deaths. It isn't until May that Cuomo issues an executive order requiring one negative COVID-19 test result for hospital patients discharged to nursing homes in New York. But even now, nursing homes and other assisted living centers are looking for more employees because they're continuing to struggle with protecting their patients and their staff. Cuomo did recommend outsourcing to retired nurses and doctors, but so far that hasn't proven as an effective method. Thanks, Naya. In addition to the nursing home scandal and its subsequent investigation, the governor faces further allegations of sexual misconduct. Elias Miller has more on the topic. It is a split screen of dual investigations. Even as the nursing home scandal carried on, New York fell under an even greater stress as a series of women accused Cuomo of inappropriate sexual remarks or conduct claims that the governor's office denied. It started late last month with Lindsey Boylan, a former aide to the governor and currently a candidate to be Manhattan Borough's president. Now she reiterated previous claims that Cuomo in 2018 would go out of his way to touch her inappropriately and even kissed her without consent. Another aide, Charlotte Bennett, spoke out soon thereafter, saying that when he, she worked for him, Cuomo would ask about her sex life and whether she would sleep with older men. This as the state government was reeling from the pandemic. Anna Ruck didn't work for the governor, but recounted similar unwanted advances. Karen Hinton worked for Cuomo when he was a U.S. Secretary for Housing and Urban Development under Clinton and told the Washington Post that he attempted to give her an unsolicited, quote, intimate embrace. 
analysts worked in Governor Cuomo's office, and she's the latest to speak out against him. She said in an interview with the Wall Street Journal that the governor asked her uncomfortably personal questions, even kissing her hand. We should reiterate, the governor has apologized for some of the alleged statements, calling them, quote, playful jokes, or that he only meant to tease some of his employees in a good-natured way. That's a direct quote. For these, he seemed to express genuine regret in a press conference last week. Take a listen. I now understand that I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional, and I truly and deeply apologize for it. I feel awful about it, and frankly, I am embarrassed by it. He did go on to say that kissing and hugging was just his way of being friendly and greeting people. But his office denies the more serious accusations, those that border on the criminal. He's instead asking people to refrain from a rush to judgment, to wait for the investigation to churn out the facts. Many of his colleagues are also backing him. Take a listen. This is Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton, the former Secretary of State. Sexual harassment is never acceptable, can never be tolerated. Now, the investigation of these women's allegations, as I said, they're serious. They're being investigated in the very capable hands of the New York State Attorney General. I called for that type of independent investigation, and she is doing it. And I have a lot of faith in her. And I'm very confident that the Attorney General will conduct an independent, uh, comprehensive investigation, and I think we should all wait to uh, see what those results are. Cuomo faces criticism from both sides, though others, as we just heard, are continuing to advocate pausing until the investigation concludes. Alongside the New York Attorney General, others are also involved in the investigation. Elias Miller is here again to elaborate. On Monday, New York's Attorney General Tish James announced the federal prosecutors who would look into the Cuomo misconduct scandal. The pair she named are June Kim, a former U.S. attorney in the state who had previously headed a prosecution against a close aide of the governor's, and Ann Clark, who specializes in employment discrimination and the representation of sexual harassment plaintiffs. The team wrote that their investigation will include subpoenas, interviews, and formal depositions, but it's anyone's guess as to whether they will bring the governor himself in for questioning or stop at his aides and accusers. What they wish to uncover is not only what happened in the events the accusers described, what Cuomo said and or did, but also how his office then handled the complaints. His own executive order that he issued two years ago would require such allegations against state employees to be referred to the governor's office of employee relations for a mandatory investigation, even in the absence of a formal complaint. His office won't say whether they followed those very state mandates when Bennett says she gave her statement to the governor's special counsel. We do know, though, that she was transferred to another post in Albany. For now, the prosecutors looking into the series of accusations will return weekly reports to Attorney General James. They will not be required to update the governor.
As the world around him continues to shift, Cuomo's response has been fairly clear. Elias has more. The calls for him to resign are coming from all sides of the state's legislature, even though no impeachment process seems to be on the cards as of this recording. On Sunday, the leader of New York State Senate, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, became the most powerful voice yet to ask him to step down. In a statement, she called the onslaught of allegations a, quote, daily distraction, concluding that, quote, for the good of the state, Governor Cuomo must resign. The Speaker of the Legislature's lower house, Carl Heasty, would not go that far, simply recommending that Cuomo, quote, seriously consider whether or not to stay in office. This is notable since any impeachment proceedings would need to begin in Heastie's state assembly. Other politicians in the recent past have also been accused of sexual misconduct, albeit with different outcomes. We'll throw it back to Elias. In the wake of these allegations, we remember how Al Franken, the U.S. Senator from Minnesota until 2018, resigned after finding himself in the epicenter of his own sexual misconduct scandal. Accusations that, by the way, rhyme with those Cuomo is currently going through. Franken stepped down before the Senate Ethics Committee formally reviewed the accusations, in part because more than two dozen Democratic senators pressured him to resign, including Chuck Schumer. More recently, Representative Katie Hill also left her seat before a House ethics investigation into her accusations could conclude, but that's all mostly on the Democrats' side. Cuomo's calls for a due process justified under the law liken more to how Republican-appointed Supreme Court Justices Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas weathered their own sexual scandal-filled uh, confirmation hearings 2018 and 1991, respectively. Or remember how Rory Moore stayed in the 2017 Alabama Senate special election amid sexual assault accusations that included minors. Or finally, remember how President Trump filled out a full term despite allegations ranging from sexual harassment to full-on assault. But then there's the way Cuomo has responded to similar harassment claims about other people. When four women in 2018 accused the former New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman of physically assaulting them, Cuomo had called on him to step down within hours, even as uh, Schneiderman strongly denied those claims. Critics are left wondering if Cuomo has a different set of principles for himself than for others, or if the relatively less severe charges levied against Cuomo compared to the former AG justify this new call for patience. Dual crises are not coming to a close anytime soon. So what might be next for Governor Cuomo? Nia Jordan will tell us more. As calls grow for Governor Cuomo's resignation, the AP reports that Cuomo told a top state lawmaker that the legislator would need to file for impeachment if Cuomo was to leave office. This is his third term as New York's governor, but Cuomo's criticism is mounting quickly. Republican leaders do plan to introduce a resolution to impeach Cuomo, and members of the Democratic Party continue to call for his resignation. But the question remains, what's next for Andrew Cuomo? For the moment, we know he will not resign, and impeachment is unlikely. But only time will tell. That concludes Cuomo's Combined Crises, 
a special podcast report for BU News Service. The music you heard includes Veronica's Lament by the Free Harmonic Orchestra, as well as the songs Undercover and Bandits, both by Ketza, licensed under the Creative Commons. Special thanks to NBC News, CBS News, The Hill, AP, CNBC, Bloomberg, and the New York Governor's Office for audio clips. On behalf of Elias Miller and Nia Jordan, I'm Will Andronico, and thanks for listening. Thank you.